see, I think, up on the PowerPoint. I don't even have to look back there, do I? This morning, we're going to study about hermeneutics. Boy, isn't that exciting? <laughs> There's just no good story I can tell to get into that. Partway through, you uh, need to get a cup of coffee. Go ahead. Uh, we might be a steady stream back and forth, and I'm okay with that. Uh, if you're a guest this morning for the first time, we're glad you're here. And I uh, just want you to know our sermons will not always be this nerdy. So uh, please come back again when the uh, more interesting preacher will be back. <laughs> He's out of town. So... Uh, so anyway, I, I wondered why they chose me to speak uh, on a topic this nerdy, and then I chose not to, don't even go there. So, uh, so on the surface, so you're going to have to work hard with me this morning, and I'm going to try and clip it through it pretty well, and there will kind of be a one main point out of about ten points, okay? So if you get the main point, you're good, you're good to go this morning. So, uh, on the surface, a topic like this, uh, hermeneutics, and I like to use that word, I had to go to graduate school for some reason, right? But uh, it may sound dull, it may sound uninspiring, but uh, in church life, it becomes absolutely essential. Because simply what we're talking about is how to study the Bible and then how to apply it. And that's what we're about, transformation, right? We're trying to listen to God's Word, understand what God says, and then apply it. So we need to be aware that we do have approaches to Scripture. And if we aren't, I think we tend to be kind of naive about that. And also the sort of corollary that goes with it is to perhaps be rather judgmental of people who don't agree with us. Uh, and so it's very helpful to at least know, okay, I don't really agree with them, but at least I get where they're coming from. <laughs> so that's, a, that's enormously helpful. So some perspectives, first of all, <clears throat> we work with an assumption that God wants to be known, right? God wants us to know Him. He wants, us, uh, wants to know us. And He has made His known word known in such a way that it is reasonably understood and that any ordinary person can read it and understand it and find salvation. So some scriptures that just reinforce that, they're all through the Bible, I've selected three. From Jeremiah chapter 9, God says, you will seek me and find me. It's a promise. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord from 1 Timothy. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people. God desires every person on this earth to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And from Jesus, John's record, anyone who chooses to do the will of God, anyone who wants to do God's will, will find out whether Jesus' teaching is from God or for whether, whether it comes from someone else. So God wants us to know Him. He made it known through His Word. But there are challenges. The Bible was written in different times and cultures than ours and completed some 2,000 years ago, which means those factors need to be taken into account when understanding and applying the Bible. The Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek, some Aramaic, 
So an understanding of those languages can be helpful. And also we're affected more than we may realize by our heritage and culture, whether we realize it or not. Determining what in a culture and heritage is good, neutral, or bad is not always easy. Sometimes uh, in sermons it's easy to sort of speak against culture, but all culture is not bad. Some culture is very good, right? We embrace it. Every good gift is from the Father of Heaven. So there are things about our culture and, and our world that are just absolutely wonderful and uh, readily embraced. Some are not good and some are just kind of whatever. The good news about all that, despite the challenges, is that God intends the Bible to be understood. I've already mentioned that. And that is the perspective that launched the translations of the Bible from Latin and other languages into the language of the common people, even against the resistance of religious authorities who did not want the Bible in the hands of the common people. They wanted to maintain control of it. For example, William Tyndall, who was known the father of the English Bible, he was martyred for his efforts, told an opponent, if God spare my life, this is old English, ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. <laughs> I, just, I just love that. And so his English translations, you know, just became, uh, just accepted, later accepted, first resisted in England, and uh, people began reading it. As a result of the hard work of scholars, our translations that we have are very, very good and increasingly improving as more and more ancient documents are being discovered. They just, the new docu as documents uh, are discovered or ones that are discovered are, are being read, it just reaffirms the authenticity of the scriptures. And we can be sure that we have the message God wants from us. A person can find God, and here's some other good news for most of us. A person can find God, eternal life, and the Christian life without knowing one word of Hebrew or Greek. Amen? Don't you like that? I like that. Otherwise I'd be in trouble. Some methods of interpreting uh, qualification first. First of all, we do interpret the Bible. Now, uh, that, that, was, uh, that was kind of a stark revelation to me. I didn't, I didn't grow up in church except occasionally going a couple times a year. And so uh, as I began searching for the Lord at the end of high school and early college, uh, then uh, attended all kinds of churches, all kinds of stripes, with a bunch of us guys would go all kinds of places. And one of the appeals the Churches of Christ had that really attracted me was that they said, we, we're trying to just get rid of all man-made doctrines and uh, we're just trying to follow the Bible. Well, wow, that's, that's awesome. I can buy into that and, and I can read it myself and I can study it and I can obey it. And that's just absolutely fantastic. But then I soon discovered that within this group, in our restoration movement we call it, uh, their people had different ideas about how to apply some scripture. Do you ever figure that out? That was a shock. How does that happen? You know, it seems like it's easily read. We'll all come to the same kind of conclusions, but sometimes there were details like how communion's done and whether we, how we support missionaries, and the list just goes on and on and on. So that was... That was disturbing. Uh, but anyway, uh, the point is that we do interpret the Bible and make application whether we realize it or not, and we will be better served if we just acknowledge that up front. Secondly, and this, I don't know when this dawned on me, maybe when I was taking some courses in interpretation, 
The Bible does not give us a method or formulation for interpreting it. I wish it had a manual or footnotes or a massive introduction. I so much would like more footnotes in the Bible, except the Bible would be bigger than this building. But I guess we got computers, so that would be okay too. We wish it had a manual or footnotes, but for the most part, it doesn't. What the Bible has are broad principles about applying it. And the primary method of, obey, of, of Scripture interpretation is trust and obey. Just read through the Bible. Believe what God has said and do it. So, some scriptures that affirm that. So, one of them, others don't add or take anything away. So, in indicating respect and reverence for scripture from Revelation 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, don't do that. God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. Anyone takes away the words from this prophecy, don't do that. God will take away from that person and share in the tree of life in the holy city which are inscribed in the rule. And then the part about obey, Deuteronomy, one from Old Testament, one from the New, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey, because then it will be well for you. It'll be really good with you when you are in the land. You will increase greatly. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Or from Jesus, any who loves me, you'll obey my teaching. Otherwise, we are largely left on our own to develop interpretive approaches. Here are some methods people use to interpret the Bible. <clears throat> First of all, there is a, a, a devotional sort of approach. And that's kind of how I started out in college uh, with other people and stuff. We're reading the Bible. Man, it's so exciting. If, uh, <clears throat> I, I didn't grow up reading the Bible. So, I mean, I'm, there is this treasure, and, and I'm just finding these amazing verses. And, and uh, that we had a new campus minister, and, and I don't remember if I'd seen it on a plaque. I, I couldn't remember where I'd found the verse, and I, I didn't even know how to find a verse then, you know. Uh, I didn't know there was such a thing <clears throat> as a concordance, and you can look up things. Finally, I found it. It's Joshua 24, verse 15. So, Joshua's saying to the people as they're going into Cana, you know, there's all these other gods, and if you people want to do that, you can. But as for me and my house, help me out, we will serve the Lord. I mean, that could be decapage, anybody that remembers what those were, right? I mean, that's, that'd go on the wall, right? I mean, going Christian is just a bookstore, and, and you can find, I bet you can find that verse in a picture frame, and, and it's just amazing. And, and so I, I came to the campus minister, and I said, have you ever seen this before? I mean, he's like fourth generation Church of Christ. He's got brothers, preachers, missionaries. And, and I know so at his point, he said, yeah. Wow, I mean, that, it just exploded. I mean, this is, this is something a person can hang their life on. We will serve the Lord, whatever anybody else does. And that's a cool approach. Uh, except that when I read 1 Corinthians 17 and Paul advises single people to remain single because of the person crisis, that's a problem. If you want to get married, some of you are giggling, good. 
I mean, that's a problem. What do you do with that? My campus minister said that he thought that was for a specific time, and I thought, well, that seems like that's getting me off the hook easy, but I kind of like that interpretation. <laughs> Secondly, uh, tradition. And tradition can be good or bad. I'm not using that with any uh, implication there. It's used both ways in Scripture. What we frequently claim to be a movement free of man-made creeds, I began to realize that we have a lot of oral traditions, okay? And that informs the way we use Scripture. Some are written down, a lot are not. They're just kind of oral. And then, uh, thirdly, kind of what I call a common sense uh, cultural approach, which is kind of a double-edged, double uh, I began to realize we use a lot of common sense in applying Scripture. Uh, and if we're reading something and it just sounds like that would make no sense applying it to it, we can kind of just say, well, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so there's good news and bad news about that. First of all, the good news is common sense and a sense of what is normal in a culture can help us from uh, taking our good desire to obey God and our logic to absurd extremes. You've known people that are so sincere and take the Bible so literally in every, every word and then when they apply it, it just gets goofy, I think. Uh, for example, uh, years ago, we had a very sincere young man, and we're going to have a wedding, and so they need to get a group uh, together to sing at the wedding. And so they needed a little guidance and so forth, so it seemed like the logical choice uh, was a high school choir director who was a woman to kind of lead the folks preparing for that. But this young man objected to it because he didn't feel like a woman ought to be telling anybody what to do, any guys what to do. So I don't even remember how that resolved. <laughs> I, think, I think they just kind of muddled through it and made it work and everybody was uncomfortable <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, so that can happen. The bad news, uh, so, so common sense can help. The bad news is that common sense and what is normal could prevent us from hearing some of the Bible's radical statements to obedience. If anyone, Jesus says, will come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. And if someone strikes you on the cheek, you must turn the other. And if someone asks you to go one mile, volunteer to go two. That makes no sense at all. So it's a double-edged sword. Fourth of all, there is an emphasis on the difference between the Old and New Testament. In other words, we know that we live under a new covenant, and an old covenant has been set aside in Christ. They're kind of ritual, the religious sort of forms and so forth. Therefore, we don't need to heed the instructions under the old covenant. That really simplifies a lot of things in terms of how to apply Scripture. Uh, and I think uh, it's very helpful, like with re religious rituals under the old law and so forth. And so I, basically I believe this view is correct, uh, except that we ought to be careful not to neglect the teaching and theology of the Old Testament. I mean, it, we are the poor for it if we neglect it. I mean, the psalm, I, I kind of, I'm overstating this, not quite though. <laughs> I'm trying not to act like a radical nut here. Uh, so I'm trying to soften, but I just don't hardly how people can live without knowing the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. I mean, there the wisdom that is there and the riches, 
It's, it's just phenomenal. So I appeal to us to have a balance on that. And then fifth uh, one is uh, what's known as direct command ex expressed example, and then sometimes, uh, sometimes necessary inference is added to it. And by the way, we're not the only group that have used this over the years. You go back and read the Puritans, it's kind of like, the Puritans said that? Th those are my people. <laughs> so uh, we use that. Here's the extremely short version. Churches of Christ, Christian churches and some others, uh, uh, the Churches of Christ, Christian churches, known in the Restoration Movement, they began in America and other places in an attempt to promote unity among believers because they believed that all these different groups not working together was wrong. Jesus called for unity. He prayed for unity. So how do you go about it? The strategy developed was to abandon all man-made creeds and simply follow the Bible and only require a fellowship what is clearly stated by commands and examples. You can't make up a bunch of other stuff to force or require of membership. The goal was wonderful. I mean, I love that. I, I, just, I just love that. That's a part of why I'm in this movement, why I stay in this movement. I just love that approach. But the implementation, implementation has been extremely difficult as the number of fractures we've seen in our movement show. But at times, I still use and recommend this approach to decide sometimes how we apply Scripture. It's kind of simple. And for example, uh, Acts chapter 2 is just Peter's sermon. You find the first three-fourths of it, or most of it, just about death, life of Jesus, death, resurrection, over and over again. It's repeated about three times. Finally, this conclusion, Jesus is the Lord and Christ. And then people say, what do we do? They've been cut to the heart. They've believed. Peter says, repent and be baptized. That pattern is repeated over and over again through the book of Acts. So I recommend, and I think that's what we do, if people want to know how to become a Christian, we just tell them what the apostle said. Here's what you do. But it must be acknowledged that consistency is difficult, is a problem, especially when this method is taken to extremes or becomes devices not over what the scripture says, but what we infer from it. Just a couple of quick examples. So... You know, how do we decide? Jesus uh, told the disciples to wash one another's feet. How have we decided not to do that, literally? I mean, I think our application is right. We serve one another, but still. Or the holy kiss. Well, common sense launches in. I don't want a holy kiss from you in flu season. <laughs> I don't even do holy handshakes when I'm sick. I do a holy elbow thing. Uh, and on and on. So this approach also has some limitations. Uh, good, but limitations, just recognize that. The sixth one is what we call a big word here again. Uh, I don't know how to reduce it. Uh, grammatical, historical, or historical contextual. All that is saying, it's more of a scientific, literary approach came out of Reformation, Enlightenment kind of approaches, which says we should interpret the Bible the way we interpret other literature. We must know the historical circumstances, the culture in which it was set, the audience to whom it was written, and the author's intent. And this is basically the prevailing approach by biblical scholars across the Christian spectrum. This approach has the advantage of trying to discern the author's intent. In other words, the Bible can't mean something now, it didn't mean then. 
And so it confines us, it put boundaries on us, it, it limits it on the person's interpretive creativity. And I've been in some groups, and uh, uh, I like the idea, and that is uh, you, you open a text and then just everybody says whatever comes to mind at them. And uh, I just get real uncomfortable in those kinds of things because I just want to say, I just at times want to say, that is so weird. That is, that person, that is not what Peter or Paul meant. But, you know, it's just, it's just whatever. And uh, so uh, I like it in the sense of we're studying the Bible and applying it, but uh, it can get weird. And this method helps confine that. Now, this is an aside. That said, even this approach uh, will not solve everything. And scholars can still differ on some points, fine points of interpretation and application. So I've got a chart here. Uh, because of the various methods of interpretation and application, even in churches of Christ, there are camps. <laughs> and if you travel, you'll find that, you know. It's just, and so uh, this one up here, uh, so there's two axes. Uh, the horizontal axis uh, left uh, going towards liberalism, that would be uh, a lower view of scripture, uh, not taking details too seriously. Conservatism has a very high view of scripture, takes details very seriously. And then uh, on the uh, vertical axis, uh, pietism, spirituality, interpreting the Bible kind of more, uh, a little bit more on a heart level. Uh, down below is intellectualism. Well, one things, two things I wanted to notice. Uh, we tend to be a very intellectual people. We don't, we don't suffer fools gladly much, you know. I mean, we want to know chapter and verse. So we're very head, heady, heady folks. Uh, the other one is that notice where we are in terms of the axes, in terms of liberal conservative. I would suggest there's not a liberal here. You know, usually liberal, we, we use it sometimes as about, you know, somebody to the left of me. <laughs> and we're not sure if they're going to heaven. Now, we know all the people on the right are going to heaven, right? Because they're even more conservative, so they will go to heaven. We're not sure about people to the left. So I'm being smart, Alec. I'm sorry. Uh, the second point is, uh, I, I just think it's helpful to kind of not take ourselves too seriously sometimes. It gets me in trouble sometimes. Uh, so, but also uh, then notice uh, there are different groups. Now this is way above my pay grade, but I, I think probably if all these people love the Lord, they're going to go to heaven. Even if I disagree with them. I'm not going to tell you where I am in here, although I would be perfectly balanced in this area. Now, uh, so there's that. that so that's, uh, and I think that might help us to be gracious in our judgments uh, towards one another. That's why I threw that up. Ways forward. The challenge is that there is no perfect of method of interpretation made by people that answers every question. By the way, the Bible doesn't answer every question you bring to it. But there are some overarching principles. First of all, just from the experience of peaceable people. One is a motto that we are familiar with, most of us, from Rupertus Mildenius. Don't you love that name? I wish I had that, you know, Rupertus Mildenius is speaking this morning. That's a nice ring to it. He was a Lutheran theologian, educator in around 1627, 28. 
And uh, in the context of the Thirty Years' War, which, in it, uh, which was a war between uh, religious Catholics and non-Catholics in Central Europe, over eight million people were slaughtered, most of them non-combatants. And so peaceable people began to wonder, is there a way, is there a method in which we can, we can worship God and not kill each other, literally? And so this is a motto that arose in essentials unity. There are some things worth fighting over. Maybe not literally, but you know, there are things to stand for. And then we ought to recognize that there are some opinions, there are non-essentials, and we ought to give grace and liberty in these. And whatever we do, we ought to, in all things, be charitable. The, the King James word for love, charity. So, the leaders in our restoration movement adopted this motto, uh, motto as a means of promoting Christian unity, and, and I just love it. I, I just like it. But, it doesn't solve everything either, right? Because <laughs> now you've got to figure out what the essentials are. And we don't all agree on that. So that's from wisdom of peaceable people. Now from Scripture, which you're most interested in. Just some principles, and I'll read through these quickly. From Micah chapter 6. God has shown you, O person, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require? What are, what are some of the big things? <clears throat> Build Build blocks, building blocks, to act justly, be just, to, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. From Matthew chapter 23, Jesus in rebuking the religious leaders of his day to paraphrase, you guys are doing so great on giving a tenth of all your, all your garden herbs. I mean, you, you get it down to the little tiny seeds and, and you count them out. You make sure you give a tenth of all those. But you've neglected justice, mercy, faithfulness. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't say, forget about the tenth. He says, you should have done those too without neglecting the others. And I take that to mean everything is in Scripture is important, but not everything's equally important. Again, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first. It's the greatest commandment. And there's a second. It goes hand in glove with this. It's like it. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, everything in the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything hangs on them. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, uh, again, I'm referring to the, uh, Peter's sermon at the end. And he says, let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Messiah. From 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, now, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. Here it is. I, what I received, I passed on. 
that's rabbinic language for the passing on of tradition. What I received, I passed on. That Christ died for sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's a priority. That's what's of first importance. From Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, on how to work in a manner worthy of the Lord, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. These are the things we must stand on. There are, of course, other matters to consider when these principle, than these principles, but I think the further we get into details of application sometime and the further the issue is from the centrality of the cross, perhaps the more gracious we should be with each other. Does that make sense? So I had to come up with an acronym for myself, HUG. Isn't that clever? Not so much, I guess that towards each other, give each other hugs, humility, try to understand one another, and grace. Unfortunately, today I can't give you a formula, a method of interpretation that I will answer every question towards understanding and application. I wish I could. You probably have no idea how I wish I could. I absolutely love certainty. Most of my early education was in the sciences where there are a lot of facts. I love that. But while the Bible has a lot of facts, it is not a scientific document. It is a theological document. And I've wondered this past week if perhaps God doesn't give us a formula because we're going to have to try to love one another even among the midst of disagreements. <laughs> wow, okay. Okay, God. So let me end with two stories that may be helpful or maybe it'll muddy, muddy the water. Uh, I began preaching uh, in the 70s. Uh, you can do that and subtract and figure out how long that is ago. Uh, and so I didn't have any kind of formal training. And uh, so I was kind of still operating on the assumption that the Bible was easy to, to understand and apply. And then as I began preaching, I began having more questions. Back in that day, and I don't even know if it's, you know, discussed or talked about much anymore, and I know this is going to be a bit tender, okay, so I kind of get the main point, not the details. Uh, the issue of the marriage, divorce, and remarriage was enormous. And so I took that very seriously as a minister, and, and how, do we, how do we minister to and, and love and care for people that have, have been through that? And uh, there were just a, a great variety uh, of voices uh, about that. And so I agonized about that. I studied everything I could. There, there were workshops, there were conferences. I would get the tapes. I would listen to them. I would take notes. I, I read from both sides of the spectrum. Uh, and I, I did this for 10 years. Ten years and came to no definitive conclusion. Uh, one time I was working for a church and uh, the elders and I were not on the same page about this and uh, uh, they graciously uh, decided to let me go. 
<laughs> and it was a good thing. We liked each other, you know, it was no hard feelings about it, really, too, too much. <laughs> uh, you know, they're good folks. But anyway, uh, we're, we're, when we're going through all this, one night, Sunday night after church, one of the elders' wives came to me and said, uh, do you believe about such and such about marriage and divorce and remarriage? <clears throat> well, I'm on the spot. <clears throat> so I said, uh, yes. Yes, I do. And she said, well, if that's true, if what you're saying is true, the Bible is not true. I said, well, <clears throat> I, I understand what you're saying, and thank you. Uh, but I thought, and thankfully didn't say, I don't because it wouldn't have been helpful. <clears throat> I said, really? Really? You mean if you're wrong, the Bible's not true? If you're wrong, and I'm right, Jesus didn't rise from the dead? If you're wrong, and I'm right, you're saying Jesus is not the Son of God? If I'm right and you're wrong, you're saying there's no hope of heaven? You see kind of where we get to on some of this stuff? Now, a sweet person, you know, I, I, I don't mean that in any way condescending towards her, you know, more sincere than I am probably. <laughs> just sweet, but it's just, um, that's kind of where we can get to on some of these things. So uh, later, I went back to graduate school to try and figure out some more things because I knew I didn't have as many answers. I needed answers. So uh, while I'm in grad school, I occasionally, you know, try and touch base with one of my professors and uh, I, I'd kind of gently try and get into this discussion. And I kind of prickly began to sense they didn't want to talk about it probably for good reasons. I can't get anybody to talk to me about this. Finally, a friend, uh, one person that I developed friendship with, uh, a missionary professor, uh, I said, can I take you out to lunch someday? He said, sure. So we go out to lunch, go back to his office, and uh, we're talking about this. So I, I just laid out. I said, I'm really, I'm really struggling with this, and, and so uh, wh what do you think? <clears throat> and then he launches into this discussion, missionary stuff, about blood covenants in Africa, and anthropology, and it's just like, whoa, I've just entered a whole new world. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and so he's really serious about this, and you can't break those blood covenants and everything. And so you know what my question is, right? Well, then what, what do we do with folks that have done that? Now I think I've got him, okay? I'm finally getting down to the application. I, I think I've cornered him a little bit. I, I'm not in a mean way. I just want an answer. Now wait. He says, well, we have to depend on the grace of God. Now, my wiring is that is the lamest thing I have ever heard. That's, that's what other religious people say, right? When, whenever you're getting in a discussion, you've kind of got them cornered, and then they say, well, we don't know. It's just the grace of God. It's just all loosey-goosey, you know. And, uh, and so I'm, I, I'm just bewildered. I don't remember what this I kind of probably stumbled out of the office out there. I mean, the grace of God. And then I began thinking about it and mulling that over. And I'm thinking, maybe this missionary is on to something. Maybe that's what it boils down to sometimes. 
when we just don't have answers about all of that. That maybe we, at times we have to depend on the grace of God. Would you agree with that? Or maybe not just sometimes, all the times, we have to depend on the grace of God. If I think that my intellect and my savvy and my study will ultimately save me, I've got big problems. It is the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, faith in Christ that will save a person. And I'll tell you, if I'm in trouble, uh, if I'm dependent upon all my best interpretations getting to heaven, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. You know, I got problems with Revelation. I think I'm pretty right about it. But I wouldn't be surprised if I get there on Judgment Day and Jesus says, you know, you weren't right about that at all. I said, well, how could that be? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm right about it. He said, no. No, you weren't. But it's okay. You because you love me. That's that's the deal. That's a deal. So, depending on the grace of God, having all the answers uh, throws not having all the answers throws me throws you into the arms of God's grace. And is there really any other place to be, right? So, I like it. I'm I'm getting more comfortable with that. One missionary from Nigeria, uh, one of the initial in, of our fellowship, uh, a man named Wendell Broom. Remember this. You know, sometimes things just stick with you. And Wendell Broom would say, uh, talking about the grace of God, he says, I've got a whole file cabinet back in my office, and it's full of questions I want to ask God when I get to heaven. I thought, wow, that's so good. There are some things we're not going to resolve completely that we will not come to a total agreement on in this lifetime. But I believe the grace of God is great enough to cover our misapplications of his word. Did you hear that? Now, now you may not agree. That may sound too crazy for you, okay? And too radical and too something. But I, I'm of the view, you can consider it, that a person could misapply something in God's word, but because they trust Jesus Christ for their salvation, it's going to be okay. And that doesn't have to be true because I want it to be true, but if it isn't true, I don't think there's any hope for any of us. I sometimes imagine that heaven, in heaven when we meet with people whom we have disagreed and I thought about this this morning about somebody I'd really had some strong disagreements with. Uh, he really gave me a hard time. But at any rate, that's another day. We may just give them a hug and a knowing smile. Just image, imagine that. Or more likely in that day when the glory of God is revealed and we stand before the Lamb of God and all of heaven and the redeemed are caught up rejoicing in the love and grace of God, we'll have either forgotten those things, the file cabinet will be gone that challenge us, those things that challenge us, or we realize they're really simply not relevant in the light of in, in, in the relevant in the light of God. In the meantime, we live in this tension. I don't like it, but I'm I'm growing accustomed to it more, of seeking to obey Christ in all things, and yet on occasion having differences of opinion. 
And so this morning, I wish I could bring a definitive answer to how to interpret every passage of Scripture, but I can't. That does not mean we're without guidance. The Bible gives marvelous principles to help us, direct us in the fog. And when there's confusion, we can choose to love each other through the differences and keep the mission of Christ. That's what I love Steve's welcome this morning. And I, I, it's good to be reminded of that. It's not about us. What? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's about the mission of Christ to a lost world, about the glory of God at the forefront. In the meantime, we work on the details. Let's pray. Father, uh, we stand under your grace even in terms of trying to interpret. Give us wisdom, give us knowledge, give us understanding, give us peace. Help us to be patient with one another uh, because we are a people that deeply, deeply, deeply care about what you say and wish to honor and obey it. Help us to love each other, give grace to one another as we all march toward heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.